0: Hello everybody and welcome to the JWB Fantasy Football Podcast. He's Justin. I'm Wyatt. And on this week's episode, we're finishing up our positional breakdown and we'll be doing the tight ends. Justin, how you doing? I'm doing quite
1: well this week. We are inching ever so slowly towards football season. A couple of drafts coming up here in the next few weeks. This is turning into a very exciting time of year, indeed. Football about to start, baseball in half swing
0: and playoffs, and a bunch of other sports. So let's go. Yeah, I, the amount of sports that's actually happening—it's kind of surreal. I can't believe we're less than a month away from football season. And I think this is actually my favorite time of year when it comes to football because we start getting like all the fluff stories out of training camps, like the picture of A.J. Dillon on the sideline with his massive quads and calves and the people freaking out about it.
1: Uh, They are fantastic stories that are coming out, especially when there's not much to write about and no preseason games coming up on the horizon. So
0: it's going to be a a blast for the next couple of weeks. I I think my favorite thing that I've seen so far is a a tweet from Pittsburgh camp where it's like Ben Roethlisberger throws a touchdown, a to chase Claypool. And it was literally a 10, 10 yard touchdown, no defense. It's just, he, it was like backyard. Here you go. Like, why are we even tweeting this?
1: Well, I mean, that's one of four or five touchdowns we're going to get to see in the
0: remainder of Ben Roethlisberger's career. If I had to guess, so then we'll make sure <laughs> that we get it out there. All right. Moving on to some real news. Alex Smith was activated from the pup list. And I, I just like love this news because it's just exciting stuff for a good guy, a good player. And it's exciting to see him come back from what was a horrific injury. And the fact that he's even going to be able to play football is pretty amazing.
1: This is my favorite feel good story of the year so far. I hope that Dwayne Haskins just leads football team to a 15 and one record so that Smith never (laughs) has to touch a football field for the rest of his life. Now, did you watch the documentary?
0: I did not actually get a chance to watch it yet.
1: It, it's terrifying. It's worth it. I read a lot terrifying. about it. It is, it is scary. Yeah. And just like the juxtaposition of that and having seen that injury to the videos of, I think, him and his wife popping champagne because he's officially resuming football activities is unreal he is by all accounts one of the great human beings that is in the league and in the world and i hope absolutely everything good that could possibly happen to alex smith happens to him i would even go so far i think why as to say that in some scenario where he winds up as a quarterback for a football team it, it could turn my head a little bit i'd be interested to see what his return would look like and how it could affect some players that are on that team
0: fantasy wise you know this doesn't move the needle too much i maybe this helps Dwayne haskins to just having alex smith in the qb room with him but more so this is just a a feel-good story and i'm just happy for alex smith our next piece of news Cordell patterson is actually working with the running backs instead of the wide receivers over in chicago which i thought was really interesting i think This probably doesn't actually mean much fancy wise I don't think it affects Dave Montgomery or Tree Cohen much. I think what this really means is that, you know, uh, Ryan Nall, who is supposed to be the third running back, probably is not ready yet. And maybe Cordell Patterson will actually be kind of a spell running back for him.
1: What profile did Nall
0: fit? Cohen or Montgomery? Who was he more likely to spell? He's definitely more likely to spell Montgomery. He's kind of a bigger back. I I, I don't think there was any chance he was getting on the field for uh, Cohen snaps. My inclination
1: would be that because Patterson is a wide receiver, that he would be more likely to take reps that traditionally would go to Cohen. But I guess if I'm not mistaken, isn't Patterson known for being like a running back that was like a wide receiver and a running back's body, for lack yeah, of yeah. Basically, better I words. mean
0: he's he's a big dude for a wide receiver too. So I think just, he's put on weight recently, even.
1: Okay, so just because he's coming out of the wide receiver position group, does not necessarily mean that he's going to walk in and start taking passing down reps away from Cohen. He might just as easily be picking up rushing yards for Montgomery. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. What do you think he's going to play? Couple snaps a game.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, he's played some running back in the past. I think it was even with the right. Patriots, he he did so for a little bit. He's just, Cordell Patterson is one of those guys who's he's not a uh, defined position. He's a weapon. So he I think this is more just about the Bears getting him ready. If they needed him to do it, that he would be ready to do it. I, I could see that. That I do find interesting. I do think
1: there's value in situations, too, where maybe Montgomery has uh, an easier hole to hit if they're lined up with both of them in the backfield at the same time. Sure. Maybe it throws the defense off. Yeah. So I think it could be good news, but like you said, doesn't move the needle much from a fantasy
0: perspective. Speaking of not moving the needle, Chris Hogan signed with the jets. What do you think about it?
1: Yeah. doesn't move the needle much is absolutely right. I still think as long as Adam Gase is the person in charge of calling the shots out there, I'm not intrigued by any of their options. If I'm not, Pleased about Lavian Bell. I don't know why I would be pleased about a receiver out there either. Um, I don't necessarily want to go as far as saying Chris Hogan's washed up, I guess. But I wasn't really seeing what I would like to have seen from him from an athletic standpoint in recent years anyway. So I don't really anticipate this having too much of an effect. Sure, maybe it makes him a better actual football team because Hogan could catch a few targets and get some first downs but I don't think he's going to produce in a way that you're going to want to put him in your flex spot and hope that he's going to go out and give you 20 points.
0: Yeah. I don't even think he's really going to be up there on the depth chart at all anyway. So not much to worry about here. Uh, going on to some more wide receivers, both Deandre Hopkins and AJ Green have had some hamstring issues, though they're supposed to both be precautionary. Deandre Hopkins was actually held out of practice the last couple of days and AJ Green left practice today. But like I said, it's reported that they were just precautionary. Does this this do anything for you? Not really. Uh, I'd have to see a lot more consistency
1: in these reports on hamstrings for either of them as time went by. So maybe next week we'll see if we're still mentioning this story again, and then we'll have some time to ring the alarm bells.
0: Yeah, I think this is just something that we'll just maybe pay attention to, but I'm not getting too concerned yet. My draft is this week. I'm not worried about this for either of these guys in any way. Going on to another possible injury, but maybe not anything at all. Nick Chubb left practice today with a possible concussion. I haven't actually seen the video of the hit yet, but I heard that um, he was basically running a a route in the flat, and he was hit kind of high and then left the field, and they decided to uh, take him out of practice. What do you think? So I guess this is
1: pretty similar to what we just talked about with uh, the guys and their hamstring issues. We'll have to keep an eye on it and see if next week this uh, turns into a real concussion, but hopefully it was
0: just precautionary as well. Our next piece of news is that Des Bryant is actually working out for the Ravens. I think that'd be a pretty interesting signing. I'm not sure what he has left in the tank, but I think it would be impactful for the actual team. How do you feel about this, Justin? Um, Uh,
1: mixed feelings it would be interesting it would make me pay attention for sure but at the same time i guess i don't really think that does bryant has anything left either it just is intriguing to me because i suppose that what he would offer them is someone who they would like to throw the ball to in the red zone why else would they bring him in if not for that and if he turns out to have some good chemistry with Lamar Jackson, for example. Maybe Des Bryant's catching some touchdowns. Can we rely on him? I have no idea, but maybe.
0: Yeah, i th- I think you're right. I think if they're signing Des Bryant, it's because they have an inexperienced wide receiver room, and they just want a veteran who they can rely on for you know first downs and f- in the red zone, someone who can go get the ball when they need someone to do it. Yeah. Lastly. Doug Peterson reportedly told Miles Sanders that he is the guy and he wants to increase his reps. Now, we've been a little bit lower, I think, than consensus on Miles Sanders through everything because we think that Doug Peterson will still use a little bit of a running back by committee. Does this change anything for you? It does. Yeah.
1: I have been creeping up on Sanders over the past uh, week, week and a half, and have kind of... Firmly in PPR and half PPR leagues, started to entertain the idea if maybe he doesn't offer me something that is substantially better than what I could get out of uh, Gurley or Eckler that particular tier of players. And if maybe some of the issues that I have with Kenyon Drake might make it so that Sanders would rise above Drake, and I don't know if I'm a hundred percent ready to go quite that far. But that gap between the two of them is very, very, very narrow at this point. Um, And I'm starting to, on the flip side of this, even though it's not related to this particular news story, I'm starting to wonder a little bit more than I previously did about the viability of Josh Jacobs and Nick Chubb in full PPR leagues. So what at one point was a very wide gap for me, in PPR format has now narrowed substantially where I think Chubb, Jacobs, Mixon, uh, Drake, and now Sanders are all in that same sort of category category at the end of the first and beginning of the second round. It's a shame that we're not going to get to see some preseason to really talk ourselves into just loving Miles Sanders. But I do think that it's very, very possible that Sanders could end up finishing as a viable top five top 10 running back this year so i I think you're right when we initially started looking at him we were a bit lower and have remained a little bit lower but that's starting to turn for me a little bit and positive press like this from the coaching staff uh means a lot to me and i kind of think along the lines of a previous episode that we had here do you remember when we were talking about just how candid doug peterson was and talking about uh the veteran running back he was hoping to get. And we all knew he was talking about Carlos Hyde, right? Yeah. Uh, The vibe that I've gotten all along from Doug Peterson is one that's very genuine. He's kind of upfront with what he says. He tends to say things to the press and to his players that not every coach is willing to say. And he seems to mean what he says. He's not playing a lot of mind games in my opinion. So when he says something like this to a running back, it means a little bit more to me than maybe if some other coach had said this to someone.
0: Yeah. The, the closer we are getting to the season, the more and more I'm liking miles Sanders because everything is just starting to line up for him. And really we've only gotten good news for him this off season. We, we had Deuce Staley come out the running backs coach for the Eagles come out and say, you know what a workhorse he can be. Doug Peterson says this now, yeah, when that news first happened about what we think they were trying to sign Carlos Hyde, it seemed bad, but now I actually feel like what they were actually trying to do is just get a veteran behind him. Not that Carlos Hyde was going to steal his work, but they just wanted a veteran in the in the backfield. And that's why I don't necessarily know that this means
1: I'm no longer interested in taking like Scott as a late round flyer, cuz I am still interested in a guy like that because they do usually have like one and then a half viable running back in that particular system. It just is really interesting to me. Like you said, as we get closer and closer to the draft, all of the circumstances have come together really well for Sanders and the evidence that we're getting from things like what was said here by the coaching staff kind of backs it up and puts it all together.
0: Yeah. It's definitely something where I want to revisit my rankings and see where I want to put him now. I'm not sure how much higher I can really go. Cause you know, if you're moving them up, you have to move someone down. I'm not sure how high I'm going to move them, but I, I definitely want to revisit things.
1: Yeah, and you're right, and that's kind of what I meant when I said that I have soured just a teeny little bit on Chubb and Jacobs, and increased how much I like a guy like Sanders, and now it's made what was like three separate tiers of players almost into one tier for me, which should spell good news for people who pick in picks six through 10 in a regular 10 person league because what it means is that all the way up through 15 you should have every opportunity to get two very viable running backs which is what we really want at the end of the day
0: moving on to our main event the tight end breakdown for today's show we're gonna be going over our top 15 tight ends and comparing them to the fantasy pros ecr for those who don't know the Fantasy pros ecr is the expert consensus rankings Starting off with the first guy, we've got Travis Kelsey, who is ECR one and JWB one.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know why anybody would ever look anywhere other than Travis Kelsey for number one tight end. There's nothing really wrong with Kittle. Kelsey's just got the track record and high performance in his numbers to merit being at the number one position. Uh, I think he's a really good option to look at even as early as the very end of round two. Um, we have discussed. Many scenarios where if you pick first or second in a draft, for example, that you might not love the running back options that are available to you at the end of second or beginning of the third round. And if that's the case, that all those guys that we just talked about when we were looking at the Miles Sanders news are off the board and you see some value in getting Kelsey in that position, I think that's a pretty good spot for that. Um. Hopefully at the end of the year, you know, he's done what he's supposed to do, which is have a ton of separation between himself and everyone who is not named George Kittle so that you can pick up a lot of uh, additional
0: pointage for your team on a week to week basis from having a guy like Kelsey. Yeah. Kelsey is basically king of the hill here. He's been the tight end number one for four years running. He, and to me, he's going to be that until someone knocks him off there. I'm not, I'm not taking anyone over Travis Kelsey. If I'm picking a tight end, like you spoke about, We've discussed end of second round. That's where we would start taking tight ends. And that's because of our philosophy of picking running backs early for this year. Moving on to our next tight end, we've got George Kittle, who is ECR2, JWB2.
1: Maybe just a shade after Kelsey. Late second, early third. Do you think that's a fair draft assessment of where to get a guy like Kittle? I do. So, you know, not much different. He just doesn't quite have the track record. But you'd expect the numbers to be pretty similar. I would be shocked, shocked if either Kelsey or Kittle finished outside the top four in tight ends. So, uh, you know, he's there for for good value if you can get him in the right spot. It's just I wouldn't overdraft a guy like Kittle in round two just because somebody took Kelsey in round one. But they're you know, getting very closer to being 1A and 1B.
0: I'll say this. I think George Kittle is actually the better player between him and Travis Kelsey. It's just because the offenses that they're in that Kittle is number two. You know, Kelsey is part of that, you know, what is probably a top three offense in the entire NFL, especially when it comes to passing, whereas George Kittle's in the run first offense. But I definitely think he's the actual better player. I agree with that. The third tight end we're going to talk about is Zach Ertz who is ECR4JWB3.
1: Yeah, so first little teensy bit of Discord here that Mark Andrews is higher in most expert rankings and we have have them flip-flopped. For me in particular, it's just that I know what Ertz can do and I don't really view him like I view a tight end. So in in my opinion, if Zach Ertz had the wide receiver label next to his name instead of the tight end label, I would probably still be considering taking him somewhere in like the fifth, sixth, seventh round. So just heads up, straight up, Wyatt, if you were looking at Tyler Lockett, Cortland Sutton, those guys in that area of the draft for wide receivers and Zach Ertz was there as a wide receiver. Would you view them as somewhat similar?
0: They, they are pretty similar. I mean, if you look at what Zach Ertz has done over the last five years, he averages 86 catches over 900 yards and six touchdowns. So he's basically already in that conversation of that kind of a wide receiver. Right. And,
1: and you get to put him, at the tight end position so that I do think that that's very interesting. And again, just like it was with miles Sanders, like all the news that has come out of Philly has made it even better for guys like Ertz and for another guy, Goddard that we're going to discuss later who profile, like they're going to be used as wide receivers this year. So I would love, 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 love to get my hands on Ertz ahead of, Mark Andrews, just because I think that his consistent week to week ability to score points and then mix in touchdowns here and there will go a very, very long way for him at the end of the year. So I think if I'm not super pleased with the option that I would be adding as a flex player to my team in rounds five or six, and I see Ertz sitting there, that's where I'm looking to pull the trigger. Uh he has been going a little bit earlier than that in average draft position in most places so if you're seeing him in round five after you've got two running backs and two receivers and you're thinking you're going to take Ertz instead of adding uh the flex player to your team
0: that that's ideal it just it's tough to say if he's going to make it that far yeah i think what's important it, you brought up the uh Deficiency in the wide receivers in Philadelphia, and we actually had Mark Andrews above Zach Ertz early in the process. But when we saw all the issues that were happening, we kind of knew this was going to go back to Zach Ertz is the guy to have in that offense again. Speaking of Mark Andrews, the next guy up, who is ECR3, JWB4?
1: Yeah, they're similar to me. Andrews is another guy who might as well be the wide receiver for that offense with the amount of work that they have to give to him uh, with what Lamar Jackson does. He's a perfect compliment for Lamar Jackson just to be open and be available to run nice, safe routes and make catches during plays when the defense is trying to keep Jackson from just picking up 30, 40, 50 yards on the ground. He's going to have plenty of openings and he's going to have plenty of opportunity. Uh, If you believe That that offense is going to continue to move forward in the future, that Jackson's going to grow not only as a runner, but as a passing quarterback, then you subsequently have to believe that Mark Andrews continued emergence is what's going to get Lamar Jackson to that place of becoming a better passer. And that's the reason why, despite not being around for very long, he's going this high up in drafts. So my issue and the reason why I have no shares of Mark Andrews this year is because he has been going higher than Ertz. And I'm not willing to take Mark Andrews in the late third or even the middle of the fourth round when I'm attempting to get Ertz ahead of him a little bit later. Uh, But I wouldn't fault anybody
0: for taking him as like a fourth round tight end if they believe in him. I think the important thing here for Mark Andrews is this is where there's going to be a big drop off for us. Uh, Basically, you know, we were interested in Travis Kelsey if we can get them in the third round. We're interested in Zach Ertz and Mark Andrews if we can get them in the fifth round or later. But then after that, we're not really targeting tight ends in these mid rounds. We're, We're waiting after this point. I think that's the important part here is that there's a significant teardrop for us after Mark Andrews.
1: Yeah, there for sure is. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to point out here that starting in the very, very, very end of round two, but really let's just go ahead and call it round three. Starting in round three and going through round five, if the value is there for me to get one of these guys, great, I'm all for it. If there's a running back or wide receiver that I like equal to any of these four guys, I prefer that skill position over the tight end position. If we hit round five and all four of these guys are off the board and I don't have one of them, I'm absolutely
0: not looking to take a tight end until at minimum round 10. Yeah. We're basically punting the position at that point, just because we like so many of these guys later on in the draft yeah, like
1: we're about to go into Hunter Henry here as our fifth guy in our rankings. And the difference to me between Hunter Henry at five and the guys that we're going to have in the
0: teens is is minuscule. Yeah, so moving on to Hunter Henry, who's ECR eight and JWB five. And I can say for me personally, the big reason why I'm a believer in Hunter Henry this year is that while we expect a lot of the passing options for the Chargers to suffer this year with Tyrod Taylor being the new QB, we don't expect that for Hunter Henry. Because Tyrod Taylor has shown an affinity for the tight end. In fact, he made Charles Clay a relevant tight end option when he was starting in Buffalo.
1: He makes every tight end that he plays with at least relevant. And when you're getting into these later round tight end prospects. So again, because we have Hunter Henry as fifth off our board, but he's actually eight in the consensus rankings. it it does bear out that Henry is a guy you're going to see out there in rounds nine and 10. So let's just thought experiment that you've already grabbed four receivers, four running backs and a quarterback for your team. And now it's round 10 and you still see a talent like Hunter Henry sitting out there. Um, There's a couple of questions that I have to ask in regards to Henry that make him fifth overall for me. First and foremost, if Hunter Henry had never had the injury Do you think he would be going in the fourth, fifth
0: round as if he were Zach Ertz and Mark Andrews? Yeah, I I think that injury really derailed the hype train for Hunter Henry. I mean, this is someone people were really excited about. Yeah, he was like a sleeper breakout candidate that
1: did break out. And the injury was then just at an untimely. Yeah, well, I mean, that's it. That's the only way to say it. It was an untimely injury. And then he finds himself now back in this range almost as if that's where he had started um but i do think that if you feel the same way that you and i apparently both do about how high he would be without the injury then your only other hesitation can be quarterback play and you know if you're right that tyrod taylor likes to go to his tight end this is a place where talent and opportunity should meet a crossroads at a higher level than it is for a lot of other people who are on the board in my
0: opinion Moving on to our next tight end, we've got Darren Waller, who is ECR 5 and JWB 6.
1: Yeah, I just worry a lot about him and what they're going to do and how the offense could change from year to year. I don't think that there's any level of predictability in what the Raiders are doing. Like, What is to say that their year this year is going to be anything like the year they had last year or that any individual player can replicate the numbers that they already had so i just have a lot of question marks in regards to waller that i can't overcome and my issue with those question marks is that it drags him back into the same range as all of these other guys that are right here henry waller higby even guys like gronk i think are all really similar if you're not just flat out sold on darren waller regardless of whether you are or aren't flat out sold on darren waller You're going to have to be willing to take him in round six if you want him. If you're very, very lucky, maybe you can take him in round seven. But if I'm not mistaken, I think we've even seen him going in round five in certain drafts where tight ends are coming off the board a little bit quicker. And I haven't been willing
0: to pay that price for this particular player this year. Yeah, I do think that he will still be the number one target for the Raiders, but I'm just not so sure that that will produce as much as uh, it did last year because of all the talent that they've added to the offense. Although it be young talent, they did add these guys, you know, high draft picks. Henry Ruggs in the first round, he's the first wide receiver taking the draft. They added Brian Edwards in the third round, who's legit talented. They added Lynn Bowden Jr., who is going to be listed as a running back, but has serious receiving chops. I just worry that even though he will be the number one option, that number one option might be, you know, like 85 targets, 90 targets this year.
1: Yeah, that is that is very, very interesting. You're, I think you're right that maybe it's worth noting for people as well that even if one of those or all of those rookie options don't necessarily explode, that that could still be a huge downer for Waller. If they're spending time throwing the ball to guys like Ruggs and Bowden and it's not working out, it just means there's less opportunity for Waller than there was last year. If one of those guys emerges, that could hurt him. There just seems to be a a ton of different ways in which his value could get hurt. Uh, And I just want to mention here before we move along just in passing that if there is one reason that I'm taking Waller, it's specifically for having the quote of the offseason by saying that Ruggs is faster than
0: a roach when the lights come on.
1: That (laughs) that, that was
0: pretty good. (laughs) Our next tight end is Tyler Higby, who's ECR seven and JWB seven. Yeah. So I did not pay a ton of attention to the Rams
1: towards the end of last season when they started to pick up. Um, But I know that there was a massive shift in almost their entire offensive philosophy that led to this emergence in Higby. And you kind of had to put him on my radar this year as a viable option at this point in the draft. So why don't you kind of break down for everybody else who probably did not see a ton of Rams football, just as I did not what went on at the end of last season and why it has put Higby a name that is probably an unknown name for
0: a lot of the people who'll be listening to us this high up. Yeah. It's funny. You say that you kind of didn't pay attention to the Rams much at the end of the season. I think that happened for a lot of people because their season was so disappointing that you kind of just lost interest in that team. But what really happened at the end of the year was Tyler Higbee had one of the best five-game stretches for a tight end in literal fantasy history. He was doing things that some tight ends have never done. He was in, he, He's basically, basically in the same conversation as Rob Gronkowski and Jimmy Graham prime years, what he was doing. And we kind of should have seen some of this coming because the Rams actually signed him to a four-year extension before last year started. I think what happened was to begin the year— Gerald Everett was still a big part of the offense. He was actually drafted before Tyler Higby uh, for the Rams. And Gerald Everett kind of fits that pass-catching tight end a little bit better, whereas Higby is kind of more balanced. He can block and and receive. Everett gets hurt. Higby has to take over the the predominant receiving role for the tight end room. And then he just goes out and balls. And is becomes the Higbeast, as he's been called. I think what really happened is he showed the Rams that he is kind of an alpha tight end with what he did. I don't think it's a fluke. You know, there's people saying, yeah, it was only five games, but the Rams literally shifted their entire offense to incorporate him. I don't, I don't think that just goes away. I I do think that his usage will come down a little bit because he was on a historic pace, but I think that he's still going to be a very large factor in the Rams offense. Now I think, you saw a lot more success with their offense at the end of last year when they moved to this 12 personnel, incorporating Higby more. I think they're going to run a lot of that this year now, too. And that's why we're going to have Higby you know, up here at tight end seven. Our next tight end is Rob Gronkowski, ECR 11, JWB 8. Yeah, we're higher on him
1: than a lot of uh, other people on their expert rankings. And I think it's because they're just scared. They're afraid to take a chance on a guy who didn't play last year. They think that this might all be for some kind of show, more pomp than circumstance. Um, but I think he's primed to have an excellent season in Tampa Bay. I think that it's a perfect marriage of ability to be used the right amount of times where that opportunity he will be given is going to take place in areas of the field that can pay off a lot in terms of fantasy uh, ownership. So it's important to note that just because I don't necessarily think that Rob Gronkowski can crack the top four tight ends doesn't mean that he, in my mind, is almost guaranteed to finish somewhere five through eight. Because again, this is a guy who, in terms of Gronk, You and I have been able to take as late as the 12th or 13th round. We've been able to go back to back quarterbacks and get both our starting and our backup quarterback as well as five running backs and five receivers and take Gronkowski in round 13 when he's literally the 10th tight end that comes off the board. And I'm really happy with the value that I think I can get from him at that sort of position. Um, I don't want to rehash too much the things that I said in our quarterback episode, but I have mentioned in this podcast at least once, if not twice, that I do think that there's a certain motivation to Gronk that brought him back in the first place. And if a year off has made him healthier and the motivation is there to match, there is no reason that Bruce Arians cannot utilize him in a way that pays off fantastically for fantasy ownership.
0: Yeah, for me, I just think that we have to remember the ceiling is pretty darn high for Rob Gronkowski. It's very possible they could catch you know, eight touchdowns this year. I I would guess that he's going to be one of the main red zone threats for Brady. We, We don't need to talk about the connection they have. Everyone knows the connection between Rob Gronkowski and Tom Brady. You're right. I think people are scared of his injury history and how he didn't play last year. But as you spoke of and as you've spoken of before, we believe that he is heavily motivated to go out and play this year. And 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 that means a lot to us.
1: Yeah, I think it does. And I think, again, this is a question of asking yourself, like you had said, even if it's not eight touchdowns, if Gronk has a productive year and has six touchdowns and there's some regression in Darren Waller, there's no reason that maybe even if he doesn't beat him, Gronk doesn't finish within 10 to 15 points of what a guy like Darren Waller does on the season. Now, like, think of it in terms of the draft, right, Wyatt? Like, you're talking about taking a guy like DJ shark in the fifth or sixth round to be your flex wide receiver. And then Rob Gronkowski way later in the draft or taking a guy like Waller earlier and subsequently having to take a flyer on someone like rugs or Ayuk or Rager or some rookie like that. And when I kind of lay it out that way in my head, I'd much prefer to have the better wide receiver earlier in the draft when people are taking tight ends that are above Gronkowski in hope that Gronkowski can put up numbers similar to them at this much later draft position. But you're right. Like the potential that it does even grow from there is,
0: is there for him. Our next tight end, we're going to have some serious discourse between us and the expert consensus rankings. We've got Johnu Smith, who is ECR 16 and JWB 9. Yeah, love him. Johnu Smith is fantastic.
1: Johnu Smith is a guy that you're able to get almost as the last pick In your draft, Uh, if you are a fan of taking two tight ends, I think waiting so that you can take Smith and anybody else late in the draft is a very, very good strategy. Uh, In many ways, the numbers and production that we were all happy with from Delaney Walker could reemerge just with the name Jonu Smith attached to it. And I get that it's a different offense with the different quarterback and everything, but you know, like he's got a chance to put up very good numbers there in that system. Maybe, 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 maybe he takes a teeny step back in PPR formats, the same way that we discuss AJ Brown maybe needing to come back just a teeny bit when you're looking at PPR and half PPR. Um, but I do think that the ability to have a high amount of work. Is, is there for Smith, and he should have no problem doing something
0: productive with the opportunity if he gets it. With John Smith, there's a lot of projection here because it's more about the prospect than it is the history, right? John Smith doesn't have a ton of history behind him yet. He really didn't become a starter last year until week seven when Delaney Walker got hurt. He only had a 13% target share during the time that he was a starter, though he was efficient with that target share and basically we're expecting him to take a jump in that target share and basically be the number two target in the offense. And with his athletic profile, getting that much target share, that's what you look for when you're trying to find a breakout tight end. We think that he can be very good this year because he's going to likely be the one of the best red zone threats for, for Tennessee. And the way they operate their offense, we've talked about it before, where they just try to get the ball in the hands of their playmakers and let them make plays, and Jonathan Smith can do that unlike many people can from the tight end position. Right. And I think you hit on something that's very
1: important there, that that does seem to be the number one knock that we have heard in regards to people talking about Johnny Smith. And I guess I just don't see it in what world are we not doing almost the exact same amount of projection for Tyler Higby? Gronk didn't play last year. It's all projection. Waller has one season under his belt. It's all projection. Mark Andrews is only in his second year of that offense. Austin Hooper is on a new team. Blake Jarwin is in an offense that had a historically good tight end in Witten there last year. All of these guys, even Hayden Hurst is on a new team. All of these guys involve the same level of projection to me. As to what it takes to kind of project Johnny Smith, but the measurable numbers that you have there in your evidence for why you think Smith is going to perform, it has better backing to it than a lot of the statistical analysis that I've seen for any of these
0: other guys after him. Yeah, it's a thing when once we get back here with these, you know, back half of the top ten and after that for these tight ends is it's it kind of gets nitpicky because you're right, it, it is all projection for these guys basically at this point. Right. And I think
1: once I take that out of the equation and I just look at, well, what did you do with your opportunities last year? What makes me think they will grow and what makes me think those opportunities are going to happen in valuable spots like the red zone? When you break it down that way and put all of them on level footing, those type of questions about what work are you going to get and where are you going to get it? Smith comes out at the top of the equation on almost
0: all of those answers. Yeah, I'm right there with you. The next guy we're going to talk about is Hayden Hurst, who's ECR 9, JWB 10. Yeah, I think
1: the appeal here is that you're just expecting that you have Austin Hooper's numbers with a different name attached to it. More or less. So, I, you know, he has career efficiency that's similar to or better than Hooper. Is that true? Yep. Um, we know Atlanta wants him there because they traded for him. So we would figure that he's going to see the same role and the same work that Hooper had. What did Hooper finish as
0: last year? Tight end. What last year, Austin Hooper was the tight end three in points per game. No, he wasn't tight end three. He was the number one before his injury.
1: So wow. Are, are we too low on Hurst? Like what? I was not expecting it to be that high. I. I guess, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. But what are you going to do? It's not like we can knock him because this is all based on projection. I just had my whole spiel about how that's the same for all these guys from here on out. So I guess this little discussion here has maybe enlightened me to some things on Hayden Hurst that I hadn't even realized before this about how good of an option he really is. And it's just kind of cementing for me even more, Wyatt, that like I don't even know if I want to risk taking one of the top four tight ends early. I mean, you got a chance to grab two of these guys out of the back half of a draft for almost nothing, no pit capital invested whatsoever. Like you could come out of almost every single team with Johnny Smith and Hayden Hurst. And the chances that one of them blows up seems to be astronomically high. I'm kind of feeling like that's
0: the way to go on tight end. Yeah. The only reason why I want Hayden Hurst at the back end of the top 10 is because he hasn't been a featured tight end yet. And it's a, it'll be his first team or, and it'll be his first year in Atlanta but would I be surprised if Hayden Hurst got 100 targets this year and was a top five tight end? I, I would not be surprised.
1: Yeah, it does. It makes sense that it could go that way.
0: Our next tight end is another one where we're going to have a big difference. We've got Dallas Goddard, who is ECR 17, JWB 11.
1: Yeah, it's the same thing that we talked about with Ertz. Like, you're taking Ertz because that same range in the draft, you're seeing guys like Tyler Lockett go at wide receiver and you kind of take Ertz and you feel like you're essentially getting that kind of player, but in a more valuable position. And I do think that Goddard is the number two receiver for this team this year, unless Rager comes out and blows me away, which I don't think he's going to do, especially at the beginning of the year, there should be a ton of work there for Goddard. So just like Ertz, Goddard is a guy that I think offers you a ton of upside in PPR and half PPR because he should get plenty of looks each game He's going to be on the field a ton and he's shown that he can catch you tight ends too. So you you're taking a guy in Goddard where him finishing with seven catches for a hundred yards and one or two touchdowns is not absurd. He's going to have a couple of games like that probably throughout the year. You just hope that you're playing him when it happens. Um, but I I love him. I've been a huge fan of the t- both of the tight ends that are in that offense, and I've seen Goddard just kind of slowly emerge a little bit more each year, and I think he does continue to take another step
0: forward this year as well. Yeah, I think the reason why we have him higher than the expert consensus is because we're basically projecting the Philly offense to look very similar to the way it did last year when they had all the injuries to their wide receivers because, well, they basically already have all those injuries to their wide receivers. And like, as you said, Dallas Goddard has to be the wide receiver number two, essentially, for the team after Zach Ertz. And last year, he was the tight end number 10.
1: That's incredible. That makes it really, really good value to get him at this position of the draft, especially because, again, he's going so much lower. He and Smith was 16, Johnny Smith, and Goddard is 17 in the expert consensus ranking. So both of them are guys that are going at the very, very end of a draft, if not undrafted, in leagues where people are only taking one tight end. So it's interesting to see him that far back. I just can't really figure out what we're doing differently, that we're projecting the Philly offense to be similar to what it was last year, and everybody else is projecting it to be different. Like I can't really think of any instances where a team went into the season and then got healthy during the season. It's always the other way around. So Philly's already starting with the wide receiver core that's behind the eight ball, so to speak. It just lines up perfectly for Sanders and the tight ends to be getting a ton of work early and often.
0: Yeah, and the other thing to remember with Dallas Goddard is he's the only guy in this tight end range where if someone gets hurt, he's going to be fighting for the number one spot for tight ends because if Zachary ever gets hurt, he will be in line to be, top five tight end and battling to be the number one tight end in all fantasy football yeah that's true he is
1: a league winner at that position
0: the next tight end we're going to talk about is blake jarwin who's ecr 18 jwe 12 and again we've got some more discourse here yeah well again i love him like i everything
1: that i have seen out of dak indicates that he knows how to utilize his tight end position and there's nobody who's going to convince me that what Jason Witten offered from an athletic standpoint last year is leaps and bounds ahead of what Jarwin's going to offer that offense this year. And they lead the league, I think, in
0: vacated targets. I don't know if they lead the league, but they're definitely up there. They're definitely one of the top, top teams to have vacated targets.
1: Yeah, and 83 of them specifically went to Witten. So even if Jarwin is just going to get himself a portion of Witten's targets, that definitely still places him up there within the rankings. I mean, I don't always know for sure, you know better than I do, some of the math to go with these particular viewpoints. But if there is 15% regression and it is 15 less targets going to Jarwin, what does that look like in terms of tight ends? If it drops from 83 to let's say 68 targets to Jarwin, is that pretty good in terms of tight end targets for
0: a year? 68 would be a little bit low. I think for somebody that we want this high, but I don't think he's going to go that low. Like you said, Jason Witten vacated at 83 and Jarwin already was getting a little bit of targets himself last year. He doesn't even need to take on all of Jason Witten's targets to, to get as many as he did. And in his career so far, Blake Jarwin has had 77 targets. And with those 77 targets, he has 58 catches, 672 yards and six touchdowns. So you kind of have an idea of what his season would look like if he did get those 83 targets. And really, we have to think about the fact that he could get more than that as well.
1: Yeah, that is incredible. That's really, really good efficiency out of the, the start to his career. So I, I like it. I think you're right that You know, I do think that he's going to get a lot of looks in that offense and that he's going to be a very, very viable option. Again, that we're looking at at the very end of a draft. This is a spot where I encourage everybody to look at these guys and figure out who you like and why. If you can form strong opinions on Johnny Smith, Dallas Goddard or Blake Jarwin, the chances that one of those three guys is available to you to take at the very end of a draft is damn near 100%.
0: Yeah, you could basically get these guys for free. The next tight end is Austin Hooper, who is ECR 12 and JWB 13. Yeah, uh, we had to
1: bump him a little bit and put him behind the rest of these guys that are at the end of the draft just because we think that their value is really high for where they're being drafted, and they all have very interesting ceilings, and that's the difference for Hooper. Just like we discussed in the wide receiver episode in terms of Odell Beckham, I don't know exactly how much weight i can put into hooper's ability to have eight nine catch games and consistently get touchdowns in the browns offense because i think they're going to spend most of that time rushing i also don't think that once you get to the red zone that hooper stands out from chub up the middle hunt out of the backfield or obj on a fade or a slant or something like that as a red zone target it's even possible that if they're going to draw up a tight end target in the red zone that it could go to Injoku. so i don't really know for sure how to put all that together for hooper i think he's going to have a fine season i just think he might be more erratic i might have some games where hooper only gets four or five targets because of the game script. And I don't super want to risk that when I think that there is a pretty high ceiling with a lot of these other tight ends.
0: Yeah. I I think Austin Hooper is a very good tight end. I think he's going to be very good for the Browns. It's just, as you spoke of his ceiling is not there like some of these other guys because he's not going to be, you know, the number one option on any given week in the way that some of these other tight ends can be. Our next tight end is Jared Cook, who is ECR 10 and JWB 14.
1: Yeah. Welcome to the do not draft list, right?
0: Jared Cook and Jared Cook and
1: then Evan Ingram, who we're going to look at next are the two guys we recommend not using a pick on. Uh, Cook is definitely only going top 10 in expert rankings because he has a recognizable name. He plays in a good offense and he had good numbers last year, but As the math guy, please explain to everyone why the numbers he put up last year are absolutely unsustainable.
0: Well, last year he had nine touchdowns on 43 catches, which is a 21% touchdown percentage, which is literal historical efficiency. It doesn't happen. It's going to come down. If he goes down to just a normal touchdown percentage, he's only going to have four, five touchdowns, maybe, when you look at this. And it's important to know, that he only actually played 40% of the offensive snaps for the saints last year.
1: Yeah, that's horrendous. And there isn't anything in his career, the age of drew Brees, their offensive flow. Like I cannot think of a single reason why his production would increase. It'd be lucky to stay the same as it was last year. And even catching the nine touchdowns on 43 catches, it's not as if he ran out as wide as wide receiver. It's not as if he ran out as tight end two or three. So even if everything goes absolutely right, he's a mid-tier tight end and you have to draft him substantially higher than you have to draft all these other young guys that we were already talking about. So save your pick, get yourself the running back and wide receiver help that you need in rounds 10
0: 11 12 instead of taking a guy like jared cook here the last tight end we're going to talk about which is probably going to be our most hot takey of all the tight ends is evan ingram who's ecr6 but jwb15
1: yeah it just there isn't any evidence to support that he's worth owning at the tight end position he misses a lot of games he's extremely inefficient And the only time that he was profitable from the tight end position, it was almost as if the circumstances conspired like we discussed for Goddard and Ertz, the way everything has come together in Philly to give them all the opportunity. That's what happened with the giants that led to Ingram's emergence. And it's not like that anymore. And whenever they have been healthy, he hasn't really produced what you want to get out of him. So I have questions in my mind substantial questions as to whether or not he can give me the type of year that Goddard and Smith could give me, but he's going as a sixth tight end off the board because of his name recognition. And that's, that's just nuts.
0: Yeah. In his rookie year, he had 115 targets, but that was because there was literal, no other receiving option on that team. Everyone was injured. They had no choice, but to make him the number one target. And he wasn't even that good with 115 targets. It's just that he had so many targets he was a good option, but he hasn't been good since then. He, Like you said, he's always injured. He's missed 14 of his possible 48 games. And how many other games have, been there, have there been where he was hampered and didn't really play the game because he got hurt midway through? And you're talking about a team now that has Saquon Barkley. They've got Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, Darius Slayton, all these guys, all these great weapons around Daniel Jones now. Like, I just don't see how Evan Ingram will actually be a featured enough of a weapon to be a viable tight end starter. Yeah. It's not like I wouldn't take him if you handed him to me. It's just, that's
1: not the case for him. He's coming off the board. Like right after people are taking Darren Waller. So he's going in like the sixth or seventh round. Like, I don't think I've ever seen him go past the eighth and I don't have any reason to do that. Like, even if I really want to get Gronk or Higby or Hunter Henry, they're going like a round or two rounds after where people are taking Evan Ingram, and I would be absolutely shocked if Ingram outpoints Henry this season, just as one in particular. The amount of volume that Henry's going to see is higher than what Ingram should see from a level of who's done it before and who's more athletic. Like they've both shown that they're very good tight ends. So it's just one of those things where when I see where Hunter Henry's ranked and what he brings to the table. And then I see where Evan Ingram's ranked and what he brings to the table. I can't figure out why there's such a big distance between those two guys. So it's just, it's not there. Like official JWB recommendation, don't invest the draft capital that you have to spend to get Evan Ingram in rounds five, six, or seven, get yourself a different tight end later.
0: Yeah, I think this is the guy out of every position, every player that I can say 100%, I will have zero shares of Evan Ingram on any team. There's no way I'm drafting him. Facts. I think that's going to wrap it up for us today. Join us next week as we're going to be doing our top three booms, busts, and movers to get you ready for your fantasy drafts. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash JWB fantasy football. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Wyatt B underscore FF. Justin's at J will underscore FF and the shows at JWB underscore FF. And we'll see you next time. As always. Thanks for listening.